This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about the idea of superdelegates, what part of the process for the Democrats to select their nominee every four years for president. Is it time to reconsider the way that works, given people's dissatisfaction with it? There was a lot of talk during the primaries that Bernie Sanders was badly, badly disadvantaged by the presence of superdelegates who almost all were supporting Hillary Clinton. We're going to be joined by Democratic state representative uh, in Maine who has some real thoughts about how that might how that might look different. But up first, Bernie Sanders is expected to endorse Hillary Clinton for president after a long, hard-fought primary battle this week. At times, the two candidates appeared to agree on a lot of their goals, differing mostly, though, on how they wanted to achieve them. But they appealed to really different audiences. The result is a bitter taste left in the mouths of a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, and a lot of them say they feel disenfranchised by the entire process. Going into the Democratic and Republican National Conventions, only about 43% of Democrats and 40% of Republicans are satisfied with their party's presumptive nominee, according to a recent Pew Research Center poll. Is it time for the major parties to consider changing their processes for selecting presidential nominees? A little later, as I said, we're going to talk about those Democratic superdelegates. But first, I'm going to talk about the feeling of disenfranchisement more broadly and whether it will lead to a significant number of protest votes in November. Will people vote for a third party candidate like Libertarian Gary Johnson or will people like Democrats write in Bernie Sanders even though he's not on the ballot? Yesterday we heard from a young woman named Tiara from Detroit who plans to do exactly that. The person that I really want to vote for isn't really on the ballot, but I have to do him as a write-in. Um, but I'm definitely vote- voting for, you know, Bernie because he stands for everything that I believe in. And I'm hoping that we get enough write-in votes that he makes a difference. Okay, that was a young woman named Tiara from here in Detroit at Eastern Market on Saturday talking about the fact that she's just not satisfied with Hillary Clinton as the nominee, even though that's who won all of the, enough of the primaries to, to get the nomination. She's going to go into the booth in November and write in Bernie Sanders. This is something I am hearing from an increasingly large number of people, people saying to me, I just don't think the choices that we have in November make the most sense. And so I'm going to look at some other options or I'm going to write somebody in as a way of protesting the choices and protesting the system, saying that I want things to work differently. Uh, If you're one of these people, if you're somebody who is really dissatisfied with the choices you've got in November, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. What do you think of Hillary Clinton? What do you think of Donald Trump? What do you think of the choice between the two of those people? Is that what you want to face uh, in the ballot box uh, at the ballot uh, when you go in November and vote? Or do you think we need better candidates and maybe a better process for choosing those candidates? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. And joining me to discuss uh, this subject is Jeff Grinovitsky, who is an associate professor of political science at Wayne State University, and Rebecca Cinderbrand, who is the political editor at the Washington Post. Rebecca and Jeff, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rebecca, let's start with you uh, looking from uh, that that position in Washington, covering this from a national perspective. Uh, how prevalent is this feeling of dissatisfaction with the process and the candidates? And compare that, if you can, to previous elections. I mean, this is not the first time we've heard people talk about the system not working the way they want it to. Are we seeing something anomalous in 2016? Well, you know, we're actually seeing a couple of different threads of dissatisfaction. One is, of course, very specific to these two candidates that we're looking at for the fall, the two major party candidates. Both of them have negatives that are higher than perhaps any negatives we've ever seen in the modern era for political candidates. So with the candidates specifically, there's a, there's a level of dissatisfaction there, sure. clearly. Um, and then there's also, of course, the process itself. Now, depending on who you talk to, there are different complaints about the process. Some people would like to see um, open primaries and have everyone participate in all primaries. Some people say that they know they would like to choose a candidate who shares their values, that they're unlikely to be able to choose that candidate if everyone can participate and is able to be part of the process. So everyone has a different set of complaints. The only kind of unifying factor is that there are quite a few people who are dissatisfied. Yeah. And and if you are uh, a Democratic uh, official, if you are uh, uh, someone who works for one of these campaigns, this is your worst nightmare, right? This is this is exactly what you don't want to have to deal with through the fall campaign is this idea of convincing uh, your own people, for instance, to come out and vote for your candidate, uh, fighting against this sense that somehow the system is rigged. But we have to kind of separate out those threads as well. It's interesting to see a number of different trends at the exact same time. And one of them is we're actually seeing a remarkable degree, at least, for instance, on the Democratic side, of party unity. You know, we have right now um, more, a greater percentage of Bernie Sanders voters saying that they will back Hillary Clinton than Hillary Clinton voters ever said about Barack Obama in 2008. We're wow. seeing numbers in 85 percent, 90 percent in some polls. So there's a remarkable degree of Democratic unity on that side. Um, on the Republican side, you know, it's very much a work in progress. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in Cleveland this week as um, members of the Republican National Committee meet ahead of their convention. And next week in particular, when the rest of the delegates arrive, yeah. um, there are still a lot of people who are not quite uh, on board the Trump train, as the campaign puts it. Yeah, well, and we have this this very active campaign, Dump Trump, which is trying to convince delegates uh, that, that no matter what they pledged to do during the, the, the primaries, that uh, they're they're free to to, to choose otherwise. I mean, I I don't remember seeing uh, such a spirited or concentrated effort to try to undermine that primary process before. Well, you know, the the, the problem with that forces have had, the never-Trump forces have had, is they're united on the ultimate goal. They have still not united around a strategy, a <laughs> right. candidate. It's, you know, it's the flavor of the week when it comes to the way the absolute, you know, the, the golden ticket that will absolutely get them through to the goal that they're looking for. They haven't been able to land on it. And, and frankly, you know, time has has more or less run out. What they needed to do if they wanted to go for this last-ditch Hail Mary effort was to be able to win over a majority on the Rules Committee. Now, you know, right now, based on the, the polls that people have done and kind of reaching out to the members of the Rules Committee that are talking, it doesn't appear that they have that majority. And so, you know, that's the game right there. This year, you never say never. I mean, you know, right. the, only, the only sure thing is that there are no <laughs> sure things. But at the same time, given the shape of the race, as we know the facts right now, it, it, it doesn't look 
uh, like a very strong possibility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Grinovisky, uh, talk about how uh, this year and this particular uh, political cycle looks to you as somebody who studies these things, uh, sort of tease out how different things uh, are today than they have been in the past. Um, the thing that I'm going to be looking for, um, I think, is whether or not Donald Trump's supporters or, or Republicans are in a lineup behind Donald Trump. Right. That as a political scientist, what we know is that 90% of people's voting behavior can be predicted by whether or not they identify as a Democrat or Republican, or even among independents, whether they lean one way or the other. Sure. And so I think it's a, there's a process by which Demo or Republicans in particular are going to have to think through uh, the question of whether or not they're going to actually vote for an independent candidate or back the anti-Trump candidate, whatever that might look like, or vote for the libertarians, vote for Hillary Clinton. Right, uh, right. Uh, and so m my inclination is that as things kind of shake out, probably a lot of the anti-Trump supporters are going to kind of fall into the Donald Trump camp over the long term. So, so you expect that they will fall in line behind the idea of party unity, even though the candidate is somebody who a lot of people just, just are, you know, are, are horrified by? Um, uh, among the Republican elites, I'm not sure. That, that they have their long-term professional interests to look after. And so if you're in a state with a large number of Hispanic voters, the idea of voting or backing the candidate who's going to build this great wall right. and, and deport millions of undocumented workers is probably not very appealing to you. Um, if you're a Republican voter in that state, if your choice is Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, there's a Donald Trump is much more in line with the values of those voters right. than Hillary Clinton is. Right. And and it's sort of a tricky choice. spot for, for these folks to find themselves in. I mean, it's not just about party. It's not just about candidates. It's about trying to sort of thread the needle, I guess, between those two interests. Absolutely. And I think you see that very clearly, for example, in the case of John McCain, who's going through a difficult re-election contest. And, uh, and it's not in his obvious self-interest to uh, endorse building the wall, but right. to run away from the candidate who won a majority of the votes in your right in, in your in among your primary constituents in your state is is tricky yeah i mean if you're john mccain for instance uh, uh the the number of the, the growing number of hispanic voters in arizona is one of the things that that makes you vulnerable uh in the first place you exacerbate that maybe by by backing trump absolutely yeah. uh and and not just that but um uh, someone like john mccain has a doesn't have a personal long-run interest in the health of the Arizona Republican Party, but he's, a, as a party leader and uh, lead in the party, for him to alienate that electorate for a generation is something that he needs to be very careful about. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and, but at the same time, he depends on the white voters who... Right, uh, right, and who, who historically have backed uh, Republicans, of yep. course, in that state. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Jeff Grinovisky. He is an associate professor of political science at Wayne State University, and Rebecca Cinderbrand. She's the political editor at The Washington Post. We are talking about party dissatisfaction. Uh, disenfranchisement is what some people are calling it or how they feel or describing the way they feel. Uh, the choices that we have... Uh, if 
for the presidential contest from the major parties, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, people on both sides of uh, the spectrum talking about whether they may cast a protest vote in uh, November, uh, writing in somebody else. Uh, Some people talking about voting for Trump because they think he will overturn uh, the apple cart and and shock the system, so to speak. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. What do you make of this extraordinary political year as we get set for uh, the political conventions in the next few weeks? What do you think about the choices that we have? Are you satisfied, uh, if you're a Democrat or a Republican, with the person who is going to be on the ballot in November? Or are you looking for someone else? And who is that person that you're looking at? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Frank in Lincoln Park. Frank, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, good morning, Stephen. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. Listen, uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the parties and that... uh, Historically, the Democrats and the Republicans are private clubs. They are private clubs. Uh, This idea that everybody gets to vote in these private clubs' primaries, uh, I don't know how it ended up this way historically. But, in my opinion, one of the greatest scams going on in the 20th and 21st century is that these private clubs are using public money to run their campaigns. I say that the proper way to do it is what each, the Democrats, the Republicans, the Libertarians, the Communists, whoever, rent a room at the, or a conference center at the Holiday Inn (laughs) on some given Saturday, let the party faithful come in and vote, and then they can tally them up, and that way you don't end up with a Donald Trump or a Hillary Clinton or whatever, but the party faithful are the ones who should make these choices. Thank you, Stephen. Frank, uh, thanks very much uh, for that call and for making uh, that point. Uh, Jeff Granovisky, is he right that these are private clubs sort of encroaching on public space and sort of uh, making a sham of the, of the democratic process? I would actually turn it around a little bit because, in my opinion, what I think uh, Frank is right that historically political parties were treated as being private clubs and that over time, um, as um, political elites have tried to open up the political process in a way as to um, make the parties more responsive to popular opinion. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is that, especially with the nomination process, uh, more and more people have been allowed to vote in Democratic and Republican primaries in many states, so much so that in, in states like California, they've experimented with uh, you get to vote in the Democratic and Republican primaries at the same time. Right. And I think that's been struck down by the courts or, or the, the parties have been allowed to say, we don't want this. Um, and so like with regard to the nomination process, I think there's a, a gradual intrusion by the public on the private. On rather the private. Than, uh, rather than the private stealing from the public. Right, right. Um, you know, the change that he he proposes, which is to sort of, I guess, close the process in order to open it up. I think he believes that that would open it up to more people. Uh, somehow, if you had uh, Democrats meeting at the Holiday Inn, uh, you'd get the party faithful to, to, to show up. Is that, I mean, that seemed, that seems counterintuitive to me somehow. Yeah, so I, I think it depends what he, he means by that. Because if you go back... You know, not that long ago, 50 years, yeah. uh, a lot of these, the primary 
or the processes for nominating candidates were conducted in smoke-filled rooms. Right. And, and what, that was part of what people really got upset about. And in uh, 68, for example, uh, 72, I mean, these, are, these were conventions that, that caused us to, to go toward the more open system. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so um, if, if the thought is that um, really what you want is to have the party elites making decisions, uh, and that's what's best for the parties as clubs, so to speak, then I think uh, what he's suggesting is correct. Yeah. Um, if what he's suggesting is the party faithful, meaning all the Democrats in the electorate or all the Republicans in the electorate, then the, the Holiday Inn is probably not the way to go. <laughs> it's not the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Sinderbrand, political editor at the Washington Post. Talk about what, what you're seeing uh, in terms of people's uh, satisfaction with that process, uh, the, the the primary process, the caucus process in some states. Uh, we heard a lot uh, this cycle about people not uh, not feeling represented uh, by what was happening, but in some cases not really understanding how it was supposed to work in the first place. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, you have this, it's, it, it, it's a number of, again, competing processes. You have people who say they very much want to be involved, but you know, aren't necessarily um, motivated enough to kind of uh, find out what the registration process is for their state or what the deadline is and so on. So um, it, it's a kind of a, a, a graded system of you have some people who are extremely motivated and extremely well-read in, and then some people who are not very motivated and, and not very aware. And then everyone else is kind of in the middle of the spectrum in various areas. And so we've had this trend in this country of course, where um, every two years we have elections, not every four years. Right. And the elections that we have every two years um, uh, are very different than the ones we, that we have for the presidential cycles. Sure. You have a completely different electorate, a completely different turnout model. Um, and so this time, um, when we're looking ahead to the fall, you have these kind of grand trends that almost at the beginning of the process, we know, looking at the, the states, as we've said many times, um, the Electoral College, kind of the dynamics are, are set in stone in a lot of states, that it's incredibly difficult to see the results changing. So you already have a situation where, you know, two people who live in two-thirds of the states or more in the country already feel a bit cut off from the process, feel as though their vote is not going to have much in, of an impact on the final outcome. So I think that, to a great extent, also contributes to this feeling of, of kind of powerlessness that, yeah. you know, once the primary is over, that's it. You know, you, you don't really have a say. Now it's, it's up to Iowa, it's up to Ohio, it's up to Pennsylvania, but if you live in, say, in Nebraska, you're, you're pretty much off the table now. Yeah. So um, that, that's a problem for a lot of people. Sure. Uh, let's go to Diane in Romeo. Diane, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Thank hey. you for taking my call. Sure. Yes. Um, my concern is the two-party system really does not allow for like a Bernie Sanders to really come into play, or those who would be have been against Trump, however many there were at the beginning, 23, 24, that's a lot of other opinions besides Trump. Um, don't allow those voices and those of us who might support those alternatives a real opportunity to do so. The fact that Bernie and Hillary were really close across the board, and the fact that the Democratic Party seemed to have backed Hillary from the beginning and the superdelegates were accounted for before California was even done voting, the provisional ballot issues that were not counted before she was declared the winner. All of those things have led to a number of individuals, myself included, feeling somewhat disenfranchised. I really wish I could be totally enthusiastic about the first female 
presidential nominee that's going to make it to the ballot. <laughs> but it's really hard for me to, to say, well, it's not Trump. That's what I, really where I'm at. And I'm disappointed that I can't be more excited. So, I would like to see four real candidates, at least four or five real legitimate candidates. The debates up to the point of the election really be presented and not have people be resentful like what's happened with Nader. Oh, you vote for Nader, so that's a vote for this other person. Right. The system needs to be fixed. So, so Diane, uh, I, I really appreciate what, what you're saying and I appreciate your calling. But talk about then what your choice looks like when you go into the booth in November. What are you what are you gonna do? I'm gonna make sure that Trump doesn't get into office. <laughs> right? So so you're critical of the system, but you get how it works and you wanna make sure Yeah, that... I'm lesser of two evils. I'm tired of lesser of two evils. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's quite evil, but like I said, it's more that I wish I could be so enthusiastic about yeah. Hillary. I'm concerned about her ties into the party and the corporate support she's had over time. I really love the messages that Bernie and the push that Bernie had, and I hope he continues to influence the party platform. Yeah. All right, Diane, thank you very much uh, for that call. Uh, Rebecca Cinderbrand, talk about that that uh, that third party idea and effect. Uh, we don't have a viable third party in the United States. There's lots of reasons for that. I mean, the, the system itself does seem to work against that. But but then you do hear people like Diane talk about the lack of choice. Uh, again, the, the, the voices that are left out of uh, the political conversation because we really only consider uh, two parties' candidates to be the major, the major ones. Well, you know, it's the the caller mentioned two very interesting things here. You know, the first, and, and the professor could speak to this better than I could, but, you know, when you're talking about a process that includes more than two choices, you're talking about a very, very different process. It's not just a, you know, a, a, the idea of adding one person to the mix and then people have more options. You actually fundamentally change the process. You allow for a lot more outcomes, including outcomes that involve, again, someone winning the presidency who the majority of those voting did not want to be in office. Um, so that's something that's very, you know... It, that's, that's part of the issue there. Right. The, the, the other issue, of course, is um, the frustration she was talking about in terms of the enthusiasm level. And so that's something, again, aside from whether or not people might support third parties, the question is, do they show up or do they stay home? Now, you can say that because of the feeling that you know people aren't in love with either of these two candidates, maybe they just won't be motivated, maybe they won't, won't show up. But, of course, the wild card is... People are very motivated by their dislike of the other candidate. People who may not feel that enthusiastic about Donald Trump really strongly dislike Hillary Clinton in the Republican Party. People who may not really, uh, you know, feel that strongly about Hillary Clinton don't like Donald Trump at all, as you heard from our caller. And so, you know, you may see people turning out for that reason. And so the, the enthusiasm level and the turnout level may not necessarily be as closely correlated this time around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Grinovisky, talk about why we don't have a third or a fourth party in the United States and, and why people like Diane end up feeling like they are pushed out of uh, the political conversation. Well, I, I think there are two... like least two very different reasons uh, at work. Um, the first is that uh, when it comes to election day, when people support like a Ralph Nader or a Jill Stein or a Gary Johnson, uh, these third party candidates, 
they're confronting a, a situation where they can vote for their most preferred candidate. We, a political scientist would call that a sincere vote. Or they could vote strategically. Uh, and so if you're a Gary Johnson supporter, you might vote strategically for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, depending on who's closer to you. Or if you go back to the 2000 election, uh, I think a lot of Democrats wished those Nader supporters voted for Al Gore instead. Sure. So they voted strategically so that Gore would have had a better chance of winning. Uh, and so I think one of the processes that, at work is that, that many Americans know that it's going to be a Democrat or Republican at the end of the day. Or they, and so that, they're going to vote for one of those two. Right. Um, and so it's really hard for third-party candidates to get leverage. The, the other thing that I think is important is um, something that I think attorneys call partisan lockup. And this is the process um, that, as attorneys describe it, where if there's one thing that Democrats and Republicans in most state legislatures can agree on, it's the idea that neither party wants to have a third-party candidate. Right. So they right. develop election rules to limit ballot access to third-party candidates. And so if you don't get like 5% of the vote, I think it is in Michigan in the last, at the top of the ticket in the last election, your candidates have to get a large number of signatures, whereas the Democrats, Republicans, whoever wins their primary or nominating contest, appear on the ballot. Yeah. And I think if you're thinking about a party, a third party being a movement that starts small and builds, it's really hard for third parties to, to, to very difficult um, yeah. to get, get that snowball the support and the money. I mean, uh, the, to, to be honest, it, it it costs a lot of money to maintain a party to to get uh, candidates out there and on the ballot and 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 to campaign and and a lot of the third parties just don't don't have that. All right, uh, coming up next, we're going to continue our conversation about dissatisfaction heading into the election. I'm going to keep my guests, Rebecca Sinderbrand, political editor at the Washington Post, and Jeff Gronovisky, associate professor of political science. At Wayne State University and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, talk to us about your dissatisfaction with the current political field and the process. Stay with us on Detroit Today.